0: Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, bloodydisgusting.com's Dead Pixels weekly horror video game podcast that brings you a new horrifying episode every Saturday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil And this week we're keeping our survival horror discussion going with a chat highlighting 2019's A Plague Tale Innocence from developer Sobo Studio. And fair warning, we'll be delving into all manner of spoilers in regards to the game. So, last week's chat about alien isolation uh, kind of inspired me to seek out yet another survival horror stealth game that I had somehow previously missed. Uh, that being the third person dark fantasy stealth adventure, A Plague Tale Innocence. Has the player take on the role of Amicia de Rune, a girl from noble descent whose homeland of France is under siege by the English Inquisition during the Hundred Year War. To make matters worse, the continent is ravaged by the black plague and a mysterious supernatural force that manifests itself in horrifying swarms of rats that blanket the surrounding area. Now, after their family is slaughtered by the Inquisition, Amicia and her young brother Hugo are on the run and must contend with the dangerous French countryside and Hugo's mysterious condition.
1: So, I played this back when it came out. I think I didn't end up reviewing it for bloody disgusting. That was uh, Mark Delaney. He he loved it, and straight from there. Yeah, you know, I was like, oh, I definitely got to play that now. And yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the whole idea of rats as this evil, overwhelming force. Uh, James Herbert's uh, trilogy of books, The Rats, Lair, and uh, Domain, are like some of my favourite books ever. And make yeah, they terrify me. The idea of rats being like that, you know, in, <laughs> in the same way that Jaws did for sharks, that really should have done for rats, and I think did, to be honest, for a lot of the time, but. Uh, yeah, this is the first time I've ever seen a game that really captures that idea of those books, even though it's a, you know, a very different kind of tale. Beyond that, it's just a really interesting game on a narrative level, and you know, grisly as it can be and somber as it can be, it's horror in the sense of the time and place they're in and the situation they get them is It isn't that, you know, the monsters are there, yes, but they are just rats and there's this strange mystery going on it it's an interesting way to put it together so you coming in fresh now it meant to me how did it work for you especially off the back of you know, playing other things like this
0: yeah i really enjoyed it i thought it was a very kind of strong blending of historical fiction with dark fantasy horror and i definitely agree with you it's a different kind of horror right it's not really about A boogeyman similar to like the alien from Alien Isolation. There are the rats, obviously, but it's more about sort of being exposed to like the horrors of man, right? We see what this is occurring during this time period and what people are reduced to as a result of their fear, right? And sort of the unknown and we see how that really changes people or rather it brings out in a side of people that is more horrifying almost than the rats uh, in a lot of ways. And I think that that's something that Really ties into the second part of the title, which is Innocence, right? This yeah. idea that it's about a group of children going through this world that is essentially orphaned them, and they're being forced to grow up much quicker than they should be because of the horrors that they're facing. I mean, uh, Hugo is five years old, right? He's a child, and he's been sort of locked up in this house for a majority of his life, and he has this very sort of strained relationship with his sister who he. Sort of barely knows. Yeah. And then he's experiencing the world. He's getting kind of like a crash course on what the world has been like for the last several years in terms of what has been going on during the course of this war. And of course, the plague has been worsening in this area. And it's a game that I'm glad that they spend so much time developing on sort of the relationships. But then in addition to that, the relationship plays into the gameplay in a way that is really, really satisfying, I thought. And it uh, it sustains for the course of the ten hours or so that I uh, played with it. Yeah, it um, borrows from
1: a few familiar games of the past that sort of cooperate with two children or two young people. You, you think back to Ico or even Brothers, which is you know another sort of similar tale in a lot of ways yeah, in terms of two young siblings. But um, the thing here that really makes it take differently is that uh, it's this historical context, you know, of actual things that happen with this new sort of weird, mysterious, almost supernatural edge to it, you know, and the fact that it involves the rats, it involves Hugo, it involves something else out there and that's where it becomes something more than just like, oh my god, this is the sort of thing that happened I mean, yeah, nobody was able to command rats to eat people that we know that much. <laughs> well, we think we know that much. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's fascinating that they managed to meld those two things together, you know, this very real situation with this very supernatural side to it. Uh, I mean, it's not too dissimilar. I'm, uh, I'm not going to say it's the same ballpark thing, but you think of Guillermo de Torres work in things like Pan's Labyrinth, Labyrinth where it's the same sort of idea where it's real life events but this whole fantastical overlay to it sort of there sort of, uh, or even Tigers Are Afraid I think uh, that he's had mm-hmm. film is another one that comes to mind and to have that in video game form and to, to have children front and centre of a horror game you know is a rarity in itself and I think they've managed to pull off so well with this.
0: Yeah. And I think that the key there is, is that they start with grounding you in a very real world setting mm-hmm. or a very grounded portrayal of historical events. But that you always get the sense that there's a supernatural force just at the sort of outskirts of where yeah. you're at early on in the game, narratively speaking. But it's shrouded in mystery. And so you really are forced to get to know these characters and... I referred to it as a dark fantasy game, but it really doesn't begin that way, right? Sort of towards, I would say, the back half of it is much more fantasy-oriented. And I think that makes for a stronger game in the long run, right? Because if, if they had introduced sort of the the superpowers and that, those types of elements early on, all of a sudden you become more sort of focused on that element rather than the relationship, as it were, right? They're sort of like, well... I would rather be controlling rats right now, maybe instead of like, (laughs) instead of exploring this brother and sister relationship, or I think maybe rather that development time in establishing their relationship and sort of the trials and tribulations of that, them getting a crash course in one another, right? Because they haven't interacted with one another. And now they're thrown into the worst situation imaginable. And now they're forced to sort of get along or not get along for certain uh, portions of the game. But in that it kind of just strengthens their bond with one another. And um, yeah, it's, it's one that I think, I I think it's great that you compared it to like those two other films and that it feels like an attention to a relationship that's explored organically. That is something that we mostly see in films. We don't really experience it much outside of a handful of games, like some of the ones you mentioned. And it ended up being the element that I love so much because it's a relationship that you can sort of, You get what you get from obviously cutscenes in terms of getting to know them, what their experiences are like, but also there are so many little moments in terms of getting to understand who they are as people that you could completely miss. It reminded me of The Last of Us a lot, right? You would come across environmental cues where a character has gone off the beaten path and they're staring at a drawing on a wall or they're looking out in the distance at something and then that triggers a piece of dialogue. And I love that I. it made me want to explore environments more to search those out because I wanted to know more about these characters, and they're always sort of like inconsequential little bits of dialogue, right? Hugo's never seen um, bubbling in the water. He'd never seen ducks before or something like that, and it's kind of these little cutesy adolescent coming-of-age moments that don't add a whole lot to the overall narrative, obviously, but it showed that I was invested in these characters that I wanted to know more, and I think that had the developers tried to kind of shoehorn lots of little moments like this into cutscenes, you you kind of can almost just see what they're doing, right? It's not yeah. really organically explored. And then it sort of would drag out those cutscenes even more, which then I think would kind of interfere with the pacing, which I think was pretty perfect for this.
1: Yeah. And, you know, those little lighthearted moments and the little bits of joy that you get, uh, I find are impactful because, you know, when you look at the, the world otherwise, there's so much. Death and destruction around, you know, bodies piled high in some in one particular area is like uh, bleak as you can get, you know, how bad things have got. You know, victims are everywhere just left in, in piles and rats are just left to do their own thing. And it's to have those little moments of respite is necessary because you, you don't want it, the road here, you know, this isn't going to be that, it's not going to be that bleak. Uh, yeah, as much as they are losing a part of their innocence in this and you know, having to go through this, they still have moments of being able to be children.
0: Yeah, there have to be those moments of joy, right? Otherwise, yeah. it kind of just portrays getting older as being awful. <laughs>
1: yeah. it's, it's like you, you're better off staying in the house.
0: <laughs> <Okay>. Right, exactly. <laughs> but I also like little moments just like teaching uh, Hugo how to pronounce like aqueduct correctly or... Um, like him running up to the pigs when you are exploring a farm and the Inquisition is chasing you. And he's like telling the pigs to go, to go hide, hide. The Inquisition is coming. Like it's such a brief little moment, but there is that kind of like childhood humor and charm in it that I think it's really important to getting a feel for who these characters are just because you want them to feel like they're actually, like you had said, they don't have a lot of children at the forefront of games like this. And I don't know. I find that sometimes when they have kids in games, it's like, oh, I can tell that adults are trying to write as if they were a child. And it comes off as being sort of just like rudimentary. This is a child. This is how they behave kind of thing. Whereas when you're in the role of two kids, at one point you get to control Hugo. I mean, they feel and they respond to this very foreign world. And it's foreign for us as well, that Feels just very natural, and it feels like these are two people that you care about. So that way, you might, at least for me, I was more hesitant to sort of maneuver, um, not to maneuver carelessly around the rats, because then I have to watch these two kids that I've become the protectors of essentially get get swarmed by the 5,000 rats, and it's awful and horrible. But it's one of those things that it actually affected my level of caution when playing a stealth game, which obviously you always have a certain degree of, but at the same time I was like, oh man, I really don't want to watch this little kid get eaten by rats again.
1: Yeah. And you know, the fact you that know, they are largely defenseless uh, apart, from, apart from having the slingshot, which yeah, is useful for various things, but it's not going to do much good when you've got hulking soldiers coming after you. And, and, uh, you know, it's not going to help you with the swarms. You know. So you have this uh, constant balance of trying to you know, hide in the dark you know, with the, uh, against the soldiers, but then also needing the light to keep the rats at bay. And it's just, it, it's just a, it's one of those rare games where there's no safe place uh, in that regard. You know, you, you can, the, the dark is terrifying for the rats being there. And then the soldiers are there in the bright daylight. And it's, you know, your only other weapon really is to sort of manipulate the environment to help you uh, kill, you know, the kids don't really do the, anything in that regard. They, they aren't directly attacking anyone. It's not that kind of game. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, you know, goes back into what you're saying about how vulnerable and cautious you end up being with the game anyway because that you don't want, you know their limitations, you know what they cannot do, you know what will happen if you let them go too far. So it matters more that you take those moments of caution and I don't know, it just really makes a difference as you said to that, it's good
0: Yeah, I think that I would compare it to Alien Isolation in the same way where you sort of, you have this skill set or these tools your tools are obviously going to evolve over the course of the game, right? Hmm. Because Amicia uses that sling through the likes of alchemy, you're able to sort of cast these different uh, types of projectiles that you can throw, some of them lethal More often than not, though, they're being used to either distract or to uh, light or extinguish fires to sort of like manage the rats. And then the game, I think, does a really fantastic job of building on the ways in which you use the tools in your sort of toolbox of survival skills in that you're either taking out guards, you're either using certain types of projectiles to get them to like take their helmets off, or what's more entertaining is smashing their lantern that they think is keeping them safe. And then... As soon as their lantern gets smashed, the rats swarm them and eat them and stuff like that. Um, but I really like that you, again, you never feel safe. No. And it, it, even if you were. Not playing as a child, like, it's not a manipulative thing. It's like, even if you were playing as an adult, if you get more than one guard running at you, chances are you're going to get killed, because obviously it's instant kill. But also, like, the sling is limited in terms of, like, its uh, use speed and reload speed and things like that. So even though at one point you even get this item that allows you... It's essentially a Molotov cocktail that you can use on the rats or the guards. You still don't really ever feel safe. And I think that that's key with the stealth game, where... You get these little moments of empowerment where, oh, I have this thing that lets me extinguish fire now, or it lets me start fires. But then you're almost instantly reminded, like, if I don't watch every single step I take, there's a good chance that I'm going to get eaten or I'm going to get knocked out by a guard or killed by a guard. I think that's really key in a game like this, that you're never allowed to feel like you have the upper hand. If you have the upper hand, it's moment to moment. It's never like, oh, I'm going through this whole stretch of the later half of the game, and I feel invincible which I think is key for stealth games.
1: Yeah, I mean, you couldn't do that with this story in particular, and uh, right. I, think, I think the developers themselves had said that, you know, the last of us that you mentioned earlier was an influence in what, how they did things, and especially in terms of how you think Ellie is dealt with in that first game, and how vulnerable she feels even when she is with weapons uh, at that point later in the game. And yeah, it really shows through, there, you know, how they do it, but To the next degree, where you know they know they're not a big, big studio, not a big budget game. They know that they're gonna have to take some sort of shortcuts to make this that have that feel. And I think, you know, having them be largely defenseless and and have very limited weaponry like this is the perfect way to do it all the way through. Because if you change that, the story doesn't really work after that. You know, it wouldn't be the first game to make that mistake where you know you're vulnerable you're vulnerable Vulnerable. then you know you're driving a mech by the end of it for some
0: reason
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and taking on giants and it yeah so you, they, they've stayed true to the vision throughout and I think that's admirable you know it, it can be used as a criticism maybe you know that it ends up being largely the same sort of experience throughout but given the length which isn't you know by most game standards it's fairly short i think it does just the right amount you know it's it doesn't outstay itself you know
0: yeah i think also what's key to this which i think i appreciate about a lot more about modern stealth games and obviously it's with that genre evolving and more of the capabilities that you have more options right just because you get spotted doesn't mean it's automatically the end of a mission or you're just or you just have to stop and reload a save point if you want like you can still make mistakes and get caught but then the tools that you're given at least they make it viable for you to have a backup plan right sure sometimes you can fall back you get spotted and then you take out the sling and you take out the guy that's pursuing you you duck into some high tall grass and then you disappear and the other two guys can't find you which is totally viable and I always like having that in my back pocket or knowing that it's an option, even if it's not my first choice. Yeah. Like a majority of the time I was not going with the the rock projectile just to take out guys with headshots. I was always kind of looking for the more creative means with which to dispatch of them. Right. It was either uh, smashing their lantern or extinguishing a flame that was near them. So the rats would go towards them. Um, and I just loved that. For as linear as the game is, and there are very few sort of like wide open environments, it's very different, again, not to compare it so blatantly to Alien Isolation, but in Alien Isolation, at least, you had these larger environments that you have to traverse, but you have at least three or four different means with which to go through them and carry out different uh, stealth plans and things, and while this game is much smaller in the scale... I found that I still had a handful of viable options for dispatching the guards. And I really, really liked that element of it because it allows me to get creative with it. And then if I'm going to try something out that maybe doesn't work or I miss or I'm sort of like cocking my sling too much and then it kind of like fires off to the side and it's not accurate, I always have that sort of, that foolproof backup plan in my back pocket. So I found that the game really, sort of fosters creativity in a way that is rewarding because I mean who doesn't want to watch Inquisition soldiers getting uh, eaten by rats
1: <laughs> yeah you know that's the thing again you know, the, the children's only real means of proper violence for a large portion of the game is to, to just have to turn to rats you know which is still mm-hmm. a danger to them yeah. you know they don't have that control that they, uh, enough that the rats wouldn't just do the same to them so you yeah. know having a weapon that can pretty much turn on you in an instant is is another fascinating sort of part of that little thing they're going for.
0: Since we've mentioned the rats so many times like I need to say that that is one of the coolest sort of recurring gimmicky enemies Mm -hmm. uh, or tech rather in just how it is employed in the game because for me every single time a massive swarm of rats shows up it feels overwhelming and you never really lose the sense that oh this is like a literal swarm of rats and seeing them sort of just like scurry around you. And they kind of do this little dance where they, if you're standing by a light source, they will scurry right to the edge of the light source and then back up. And for me, like that always caught me off guard because for half a second, I would always be like, oh shit, am I still in the light? Am I in the light? (laughs) And then they would immediately back up. And it adds a great deal of tension to a game that like we said, is not traditionally scary for a horror game. Again, it's more about sort of the world and sort of what we learn about people that is horrifying. Mm but that was an incredible way to kind of foster tension throughout the game, and to build on that, like, the rats evolve throughout the course of the game, right? The further into you get, first it begins just as a swarm, you don't want to get caught in the dark, otherwise they'll eat you, but then also they start, I think it's interesting that it scales with the uh, supernatural elements of the game, right? Because then you have just swarms of rats, which are in the thousands, and then it gets to the point where they basically like can turn themselves into like rat tornadoes where they're just <laughs> a spiral of rats that moves towards you and it'll and if you don't sort of like throw one of those little molotovs at it it'll get you. But also like they develop the ability to knock out light sources, which I think is really interesting and I wish the game had introduced that more because or earlier on at least because that was incredibly nerve-wracking when you've spent all this time lighting these sort of bonfires or torches because you feel a sense of uh, over over safety with that. Hmm. And yet, all of a sudden, just a swarm of rats just comes through and fucks that plant up and then immediately you're scrambling or to craft another uh, set of an igniter or whatnot. But yeah, the rats in this, I think, are really fantastic.
1: They really are. And um, the way that they do evolve, you know, whilst it's, you know, a bit exaggerated Again, reminds me of James Herbert's books in, in terms of you know the rats are smarter than normal rats, and they learn throughout the each book how to do how to get where they want to go and do what they want to do. Just as humans have figured things out, they're off again doing their own thing and uh, finding a way to eat everybody. <laughs> it's it it it's, it really works well again. It is just remarkable how. Uh, unsettling they could be and I think again this we we say about the game being streamlined on a lower budget the only way you can really tell I think personally is just through the fact that the gameplay has a very small scope you know it's like you can do this this and this and in a small environment you are sort of going through corridors constantly that are disguised as you know Scenes that you know, these grisly looking scenes, but um, to look at it, to hear it, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know mm. that, yeah, you know, if you were just watching at glance, you'd think this is you know, some big budget game because they've done a lot with a little, you know, I think sound design is uh, particularly impressive, and the rats being part of that, you know, the, the constant cacophony of squealing you, know, you hear from them, it's like. Is just, yeah, it, it sort of pricks, prickles your, your skin a bit when you, you get to it. Um, and I think before this, you know, the only time that really rats were utilized like this in a swarm was probably in Dishonored. Yes. And, you know, that, that was kind of, that worked quite well. And again, it, it is a similar sort of thing because it, it were plague rats, you know, there was mm. a very similar disease based storyline uh, going on in the background of Dishonored. But uh, here, you know, they—they they have been given everything. You know, the way they're animated, the way they, they sound, the way they move in general is just the most unsettling depiction of rats in, in any game. You know, for it's a swarm. It is is exactly what it is? It it's. You know, they are the piran- land piranhas, if you will. <laughs> it's like they <laughs> yeah, just absolutely—you don't want to dip your toes in the water, the the dark uh, as it goes. Otherwise, you you are just going to be taken down to bone. And yeah, and then it is just a credit to what they've managed to do, you know, to make it sound and look so you know, impactful.
0: A perfect example that kind of melds a lot of the elements together that you just mentioned in fantastic fashion is. This scene when you're going to that castle, which essentially becomes sort of like a hub world, right? Mm -hmm. And you're on the cliff side and the cliffs that you need to pass through during this massive lightning storm are covered in swarms of rats. But it just so happens that there's lightning striking Mm -hmm. every couple of seconds. And every time the lightning strikes, the rats run into their holes and then you can pass, but you have to do so quickly, obviously. Otherwise the rats are going to come back out and eat you and whatnot. And that scene is such a fantastic sense of atmosphere of tension and of a display of like the environment interacting with this really, again, fantastic and overwhelming uh, rat AI. And it makes for sort of like interesting uh, mini environmental puzzle, but also it shows off like the fantastic score. Um, and I think that the game itself has this tremendous score that I think the music really complements. Again, you said they did a lot with very little, but the music almost makes you feel like you're in this larger-than-life fantasy epic in a way that I think contrasts really, really nicely to the scale of the game, right? And I think that it's very rare that when a developer goes from making something like Crew 1 and Crew 2 to this, which is very much outside of their wheelhouse, it's, again, like, it takes a lot of restraint for, I think, a developer that's like, oh, we should do this dark fantasy game. And then, I mean, the tendency might be, like, you get carried away with the sort of the world building and things like that. And then all of a sudden it becomes too big to really contain within the means that you're able to. Um, and so to see them make such a self-contained story, but give it a production value that makes it feel like it is much bigger than it actually is. It really makes for a fantastic cinematic experience that for me, never really sort of, Never really stifled within the ten or so hours that I spent with it, and I mean the uh, the rat the rat technology or rat AI I think definitely has a big uh, a big factor in sort of bringing that boogeyman to life in a way that we've never seen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just going back to what you were saying about the music, um, that's very talented Olivier Derivier I hope I said that right. Um, But yeah, he
0: better than I would have.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he, He did one of the Most you know, for a game that wasn't very good. Uh, generally, it was okay. A uh, game called Remember Me, which was by the people who made like that, went on to make Life is Strange and Vampire. Um, <clears throat> the, his soundtrack he made there was something that stuck with me far beyond what the game ever did. You know, and he's always done that really well. He's always, I mean, in that game, he he made great use of a pheromone to sort of make this. Very uh, futuristic, almost Star Trek but not sort of thing, soundtrack. And here, he just sort of nails that time and place, you know, with You know, it feels almost medieval at times you know, and how it goes through things with that sort of modern twist. And yeah, it, it just does the right things at the right times and narrative beats, you know, and which is, you know, can be hard to do in games where you know, anything could happen. You know, as much as you're supposed to get to this bit at this bit, like, you know you have to sort of choreograph everything together at once, and yeah, you know, that's harder to do in for a composer in, for a game than it is for a film. But, you know, it's like it's, you know what you're looking at, you know when this should really hit, and uh, whereas with a the game there are those variables, but yeah, he consistently makes it hit and right with that one.
0: Yeah. And I think just in terms of again talking about developers that are very cognizant of the limitations of maybe kind of their their production budget or whatever, and just being aware of like the, the scale that they should really adhere to and what would really make for the strongest product. I think I really, really love how much of the storytelling is optional in this game in terms of like building up the world, right? And I think that I keep coming back to like how strong the pacing is. And I think that that's because a lot of the information you can learn about the world is derived from the environment or it's Mm. derived from the little sort of – I think they're called curiosities and artifacts, which are kind of just collectible items, which I mean generally I don't really go – I don't chase after every single little collectible or whatever because it's like, okay, I get an achievement or trophy or whatever and then that's it. There's nothing really else that you can say about those. Yeah. But in this, there's a good, like, I don't know, paragraph tied to each of them when you investigate them in your inventory. And they really do flesh out the world in a way that I really respect because there's no real instance in the overarching narrative where they could include these little details and it wouldn't sort of bog things down. I think the sort of the cutscenes and the overarching narrative that the game has, it does really, a really great job of just telling you enough to keep you on track in terms of like, what this game is about and the story and all of these things and the little background sort of tidbits that you learn about really help to flesh the world out in a way that it makes me want to search for them which is not something that I normally do. Um, So that's a reward in and of itself. Like there's one where you find uh, incense and then I read about it and it talks about how people in this period of history would use it to burn away bad aura Mm. or something like that and I was like okay, But then the next sentence is, like, at the expense of potentially burning down their entire village. And so there's always this sort of, like, little dark humor twist to it that it really exposes a lot about the time period. I mean, they're talking about the plague times. And then you find this thing called, like, The Vigor of Four Thieves, which details this little story about these thieves were breaking into plague homes. They were stealing. And when the police finally caught them, they asked, how are you able to not get sick from breaking into these homes? And so they tell them the ingredients in this vigor that they take. And they said, okay, if you tell us, we won't kill you. And of course, as soon as they tell them, they kill them or they execute them. And so it really tells you a lot about the time period and just how there's this sort of the hard knocks of the plague times and things like that, which you then get to see in a cutscene, right? When the kids go to that first plague ghost town, they see that the people there have been burning women alive at the stake and they're blaming them essentially. for spreading the plague, there's sort of this, um, this like xenophobia towards people. I think they refer to them as travelers, where yeah. it's like, oh, if you're not from here, we're gonna blame you for it. Um, and I think that that scene has a lot more sort of, it's just a lot bleaker than just being like something done with a cinematic moment in mind. When you sort of get more context for what the world is like, you're like, oh, this actually. pretty believable that this is not just sort of this isolated event. Mm. I feel like this could happen in how many other towns are there in this country where this is happening? Um, And that really immersed me into sort of just, again, how bleak this world is and this time period is. And yet in these two kids, every time they have that little moment of sort of like joy filled adolescence, whether it be sort of environmental storytelling or a cue, it really just sort of like, Gets me, it like picks me back up, and it gets me yeah. ready to sort of explore more. It never sort of completely drains me; and makes me want to stop playing. Yeah, it, it,
1: it's, it, it's necessary to when it, happens. It, it needs and I think that helps the pace keep, you know, keeps things at the right pace the whole way. Yeah. Um, obviously there are other sort of breaks in you know, in between these, uh, you know, puzzles and storytelling bits, which are the boss fights. Uh, How did you find the boss fights in this?
0: You know, fairly mixed on them. I think that like the first boss fight that you have is essentially with like a heavy, Mm. it's like a heavy soldier basically who's wearing armor. And at first I was like, okay, I get it. You have to knock these sort of latches off of his armor. You have to do that three or four times until his head is revealed. And then you can slingshot him in the head to kill him. And, Initially, I was like, I I see what they're going for here. I hope I don't have to do this like 10 more times because (laughs) I could see that being a recurring thing. And I think you do that one or two more times, but not to right away, bring it back to sort of like the little tidbits of either dialogue or things from the environment that really sort of bring this world to life. If you listen to that character's dialogue, he's talking about, he's blaming the children. Essentially, he's saying people like you killed my family. And then he says something along the lines of, when you're about to kill him, he says, like, send me to my family. And he became sort of like this tragic monster for me in a way where you're like, okay, this is a person that initially you see him burning somebody at the stake and you're like, he is a, a monster through and through. And yet, once you learn those things, he goes from being just like this evil monster to a evil tragic monster, right? You kind of are seeing how the plague in the time period is altering people. Um, and that was a moment that I think probably stood out to me more than either of the other two boss fights that are later in the game, mm. right? This one where you fight the Inquisition soldier who at this point, Hugo has the rat powers, right? We yeah. learn that he is able to harness the rats and then you can kind of use them to kill soldiers or, in this case, the boss. And so this boss is able to like light his sword on fire which sends the rats away and then you kind of have to keep e- extinguishing flames. Um, that one I wasn't crazy about just because it kind of felt very like repetitive in his movements mm. patterns and things like that and it, I kind of was like okay I get it I have to do the same uh, repetition four or five times then finally he'll die
1: yeah it also felt like the most gamey moment uh, yes uh, very I know to the point is it's a game but when you sort of stick to that yeah you know, very narrative sort of path through things and things sort of fit together and uh, even the palaces really do sort of as part of the story it's like you need to keep going so you need to get past this blah 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 but that yeah to just be like oh yeah here's the weak point you've got to wait for this to happen so that can happen So you do. it's like you know it takes you out of it a little bit it's like but you can't fold you you want a bit of variety in there and boss fights are one of the easiest ways to do that
0: to piggyback off of what you just said I mean it is the section of the game that is least representative of the rest of the game yeah right And I think that that repetition is really the key to what makes that feel the most gamey bit, right? Because there's no other enemies in the game where you have to hit them with more than one or two stones, right? You either headshot them and then you move on or you break their lantern and they get eaten or you have to throw the ointment on their helmet, they take their helmet off and then you kill them. And so, yeah, I think definitely that's probably my least favorite of the boss instances just because also, like, it's not that different from the first boss fight that you have with that guy that I was just describing but there's no narrative I'm not gaining anything or like knowledge about this knight that I'm fighting right other than he is the inquisitor's bodyguard or whatever Um, I think if there had maybe been a little bit of a narrative element to it I would have cared more that I was fighting this person but I guess before circling back to something that I wanted to talk about like let's talk about the final boss fight I guess because that is the most like supernatural moments in the entire game right when you fight the inquisitor who. Has essentially stolen Hugo's blood. He's given himself the rat-controlling powers, and you essentially, like, are throwing little rat tornadoes at one another while you run around and dodge and try to, like, extinguish flames that are falling from the sky. Which, that one, I I don't fault as much, even though that is, like, a thousand percent a gamey boss fight sure. moment, because it is so supernatural and ridiculous that I'm kind of like enjoying the spectacle of it right yeah
1: it's like the, the crescendo of, this, yes. of the, what you've been learning to this point and mm-hmm. you know it's the revenge you know, at this point yeah. you know because this guy has manipulated all this to happen you know he is the reason behind the rats being quite so prevalent everywhere and going into places and just so he can get what he wants because he wants the same powers that Hugo has and that's the way he's done it it's basically in search of power he has massacred you know thousands upon thousands of people just so he mm-hmm. can get what he wants and that you know again is a very you know disturbing point to have to get to you know it's it makes you know as much as it makes it a, a good vengeance fight you know you can take him out for everything that's happened and like that it, there's a bittersweetness sweetness after that you know in that uh as much as they did right, and they did that, you know, the rest of the world didn't see him as some nefarious villain. You know, he was a respected member of society. You know, he, 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 he's um, he's the key member of the Catholic Church, isn't it? So, you know, they all end up having to flee because of that. You know, because you know, they've murdered you know, someone of that power. And as much as they were doing the right thing, that's not again. The kids are having to learn this horrible lesson that. It doesn't matter to the rest of the world. You know, they, they don't know that.
0: Yeah, I would like to see them try to explain why they murdered this uh, this Inquisitor. <laughs> Have to explain, well, you know, he was stealing blood and then trying to like control rats. It was pretty fucked up, but yeah, you know. Yeah, first mention of rat tornadoes, they'll be like, get out. Yeah. <laughs> In you go. But I think it's interesting that you brought up sort of the morality element to, or, to the Crescendo event at the end of the game, because I think this is probably one element that I would criticize the game at, or rather I think maybe it was a missed opportunity in that there's no real morality consequence. Not saying that I necessarily need like a good and a bad meter, but I find that there's such a heavy emphasis on you taking on the role of children, children that are committing acts of violence to survive in this very violent and volatile world. And there's a couple of instances where the game actually comments on the acts of violence and it's pretty important to like the formative nature of hugo and his sister's relationship right early on yeah. you have to use a pig i think as bait essentially to lure the rats so you guys can escape and of course that's upsetting to hugo right he loves animals or he's at least he's a child who is uh, fixated with them and it's a horrific event, obviously, to see this pig minding its own business, gets <laughs> shredded to pieces by a, a rat tsunami. But there's also an instance where you kill, I think it's your first guard that you kill. And another character comments on it to the degree she says something like, are you trying to win the war on your own? And it's interesting because you can get through encounters without killing. Mm. Not every encounter, obviously, but there's definitely instances where I chose whether it was a lack of resources or I just didn't think I could kill somebody without alerting the others around him. And yet it never really plays into the, whether it be the narrative or seeing a reflection maybe in terms of how characters treat you, other than that one or two moments of dialogue. It was just an element that I thought was not capitalized on as well as it could be because, I mean, the game is called A Plague Tale Innocence, right? Mm. It's this idea of losing an innocence through... Violence and what you have to essentially become to survive in this equally violent world. I was curious if that ever stood out to you uh, during your playthrough.
1: You see, I think it's the kind of world where everyone maybe understands that you, you do what you have to do, like that even children are expected to do that. And for the kids, you know, they are, for whatever the power they may have, they are defenseless. So they use what little power they have to survive, to get out. Is all they know all they know is that there are adults that want them dead and there are rats that want them dead and it just goes on and on and on and they have no other choice it, the game would be a very short one if they decided <laughs> you know that no we're just going to not do anything and cower and it's you know this is where it's a case of Amicia having this responsibility all of a sudden you know she is thrust into parenthood effectively mm-hmm. by uh the death of their parents, and this is as much as she doesn't know much about Hugo. You you know, that's her last connection to her family. That's the last part of her family, and she wants to keep that alive. Mm-hmm. And so she's willing to do whatever is necessary. You know, as much as it seems hard for her, and being a child, you know, there's a naivety to that. You know that, yeah, you can reason that you're doing it just to survive as an adult but as a child you really really have no other choice there in that situation you must get through you don't want your brother to die you want to stay as a family in as best way as you can yeah I think with that with everything that's going on all these weird things that she's experiencing for the first time it's just lost somewhat that she can't comprehend exactly what's happened. I think until the end where they realise that even though they've done the right thing and they survived they have now committed murder and so on and that's all that the other adults will see and they've learned enough about adults at this point to know that they will get the blame and that will be it and their life would be forfeit so again the only thing she can do is to sort of survive and that is by leaving the country you know the country is coming back to normal at that point because the rats are no longer a problem So they're they're free to go and sort of get lost in the midst of it all, you know, and hope that by the time they sort of rebuild the country that they won't really have noticed where they've gone.
0: Yeah, it's kind of the uh, bleak reality of it, right? They just spent the entire game effectively ridding the countryside of this plague, both rat-like and of the uh, Inquisition to a certain extent. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, like, they've done this in service of now we have to leave. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is really the perfect ending for the game, right? Whatever, however we feel about the boss fights and their inclusion and whatnot, and that being the ending note, the game really does end on a, in a way that it couldn't end any other way. I mm-hmm. mean, it's this reality that you have to flee the one thing that you so badly want to return to in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that that not only fits for sort of where the characters are at, because even if they could stay, they're no longer the same people. No. They have essentially they have to leave. They have to go find out what else is out there yeah. in the world.
1: And their life is there; it's gone at that point. Yeah, you know, they have no family. You know, they have nothing left. It's like it makes that decision a lot
0: easier. Nothing is holding them back, and it's not a question that I think needs to be answered in any sort of sequel. But it's it makes for an open ended an open ended ending that uh, I really like because you get to imagine like that these people will take these experiences and really channel sort of what they had. They never allow themselves to become fully what obviously like the Inquisitor would want, right? He would want Hugo to use his powers for evil and all these things and he wants to change him into a weapon essentially. And you want to believe that they would never allow themselves to become those things further in life and kind of like whatever trials and tribulations they have to deal with. But um, also I wanted to pick your brain about sort of how you think they handled blending the stealth gameplay but also periodically giving us puzzles to handle. Um, because I found that for me, while the puzzles never really stopped me for more than a few moments, like I was never sitting there like scratching my head like, hmm, this is like the witness or something. I need to make diagrams. <laughs> and it came at the right moment always. And it yeah. comes back to the pacing of the game. I feel that just as I was getting tired of taking out soldiers or the there was some narrative beat I was like okay this puzzle feels like a good sort of distraction
1: yeah it's so like
0: in a way it's
1: you know out of the narrative it's the players yeah you know you know, you've dealt with the harrowing things and the puzzles are somewhat distracting in, in the right mm. way you know you're still in this horrible bleak world and you're often still interacting with it whilst solving these puzzles because it usually involves trying to get away from rats and getting past them So, but you know, it gives you a task. As much as it gives MCA a a task, it gives this thing to do in the middle of all this that in the short term, okay, so we know everything seems so far away and you've got to get all this way and do all this stuff. Right now, we've got to get across this bit and we've got to figure out how. And it's nice to have that sort of strategy. It's a key thing of Resident Evil back in the day, you know, when you think, the puzzles are there, and generally don't involve enemies being around. You know, they, they are these little safe spots a lot of the time where you just sort of are there to figure something out, and it, it makes for a nice little release from having to watch what's around every corner.
0: For a Plague Tale, it's interesting because you have like there's an instance where you have to cross. I believe it's um, it's a river, essentially. And you have to sort of move this turbine and you want to be able to level it out so you can run across the turbine and cross and you're being pursued by soldiers. And even though the soldiers never show up, obviously, it still feels like you're in the midst of a chase in a way. And even though there's no real threat, narratively speaking, I found that I enjoyed that it presents itself as being like, I think the two other characters you're with periodically, you can actually have them help you solve the puzzle, right? They're turning different knobs and levers and things. But periodically they'll say things like they're coming or I think it was something along the lines of like, oh, they'll be here soon or something. Which just a little moment to dialogue like that, it kind of like reminds me, oh, shit, I need to start thinking about this faster. Um, And again, like probably took me a couple of minutes just to figure out the mechanics and things like that and then how to interact with your uh, companions and whatnot. But a little moment like that and then contrasting it to later when you find the castle and there's those – I think they're called – brazias, those like fire little pits that you have to move around and essentially you're herding these swarms of rats that have overthrown this castle into pits basically so you can live there and not get uh, bitten and whatnot. And I love that because pairing that with an actual threat, if you don't move things exactly where they need to, a companion who essentially escorts one of the torches that you lit and are moving can get eaten or you can get eaten at one point. So adding like a death mechanic to puzzles but not always have it be there I find it to be a nice contrast in that you can never feel too comfortable, whether it be thinking about what's occurring in the terms of the narrative or the sort of immediacy of the gameplay moments themselves.
1: Yeah, it's a a relative calm in the storm, most of the time, where just enough danger is there in the background.
0: That and also just how you're able to kind of work alongside with uh, companions periodically, right? Mm. I mean, you have Hugo, who is not just, like, narratively your brother. You take advantage of the fact that he listens to you, so you can send, and because of his short stature, because he's a five-year-old, you can send him through tight spaces, and he'll open doors for you and things like that, or one of the various other companions you come across, I mean, there's Roderick, who's the blacksmith, who essentially can, like, break guards' necks, Um, or there's the two thieves that can lock doors, and then I just liked how the functionality of these companions is both for problem uh, puzzle solving, but also there's a combat element to it as well that I liked. I don't know that they maybe use that as much as they could, or maybe they did use it just enough so that it never kind of overstayed its welcome, but there's a a really fantastic blend I find throughout this entire game of how they handle gameplay elements or how they handle sort of item management abilities that Amicia has. It's just a, a game that never really allows any one element to outstay its welcome and it's, fully confident in the reality that we're going to take this away but it's going to come back and we're going to replace it periodically with something that is equally as engaging and equally evolving the way that you're going to play this game
1: yeah and uh, with the companion stuff I think it gives the game an out for violence that you couldn't mm-hmm. otherwise do with the children without you know, devaluing where you're going with the story it's like uh, yeah, I think if you carry on with the children to a point all through and don't have companions that are able to do things they aren't then you get to a point where you're going to get absurd with how the, every situation is easily avoidable as not killing or not doing anything the way they have to physically attack someone and you know there, games uh, sort of had that thing on oh you know, the morality of killing and you shouldn't do it like that it's, it's been done where it doesn't end up working because there's a sort of dissonance between that and what you actually do you think of Grand Theft Auto 4 where Niko Velik is constantly sort of lamenting about that all he's ever given to do is killing people but then you know you the player can go out and literally grenade the hell out of uh, yeah. Grand Central Station <laughs> um, or even the Tomb Raid reboot uh, you know Lara's like oh I'm so innocent and I'm only trying to survive and then she's like murdering en masse you know it, it just you know, it, you've got to draw a line somewhere, and this is a smart way of doing it. You, you can have a bit of violence, you know, that it is player orientated to a degree, but you aren't really the one doing it. You know, you're doing, you yourself, as those characters are doing what you can to survive, but only within your own limitations. You know, she's not, you know, I mean, she's not going to go full Ellie and just go shiving people in the <laughs> neck. It, it's right. like, it's not that kind of thing. And I think it goes back to what you are saying about feeling like children rather than, you know, children forced to be adults because the writers couldn't figure out how to make them feel like children. I think as much as The Last of Us is very good, you know, that is a minor criticism I always have of Ellie, is that, yes, she lives in a world where, you know, oh, everything is terrible, but people are, you know, children clearly are clearly able to be children in that world. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but, yeah, she's uh, from the off pretty much like she's an adult in a lot of ways (laughs) in terms of how she behaves.
0: Yeah, and I think that that really comes across in the fact that you are your means of whether it's killing yourself or facilitating the death of others is um, the sling, Mm -hmm. right? And you never like pick up a sword or a dagger you're never jumping on like you said you're never jumping on a character's back and like stabbing them in the neck and then what anything like that that gets kind of would Really dispel the notion that it would get rid of the the innocence element because you would have you would have shanked thirty people in the first thirty minutes of the game if that were the yeah. case. And then you're like, well, I'm pretty sure they were always capable of this. Really, it didn't they they're using the plague as a convenient uh, a convenient excuse to start neck stabbing people. But I like that it kind of has a Stranger's Odd World Wrath approach to combat in that you have this one tool and then you are essentially like creating or crafting ammunition to use for yeah. it. Um, and while it's two very different types of uh, ammunition, you're not exactly like you don't have a beam machine gun in this game <laughs> like you did in Stranger's <laughs> Wrath. But the ammunition is reflective of the world in a way that it adheres to the narrative that they're telling. Right, yeah. alchemy is a huge part of this game in this world, and especially when you meet Lucas, who is an alchemist essentially, he's an alchemist apprentice, and so uh, it would make sense that you're able to craft these new types of uh, ammunition that allow you to interact with the light mechanic, especially in the game. Like, light management is such a major part of survival horror games and stealth games, and we've definitely talked about that in uh, Amnesia Rebirth and Alien Isolation. And so to see a different means of light management in this game be such a pivotal part to the genre as it is Mm -hmm. traditionally, but to introduce the element where you are extinguishing light, I found to be very interesting. And I don't know too many games that I'm sure there have been, but I liked that it was sort of going against the grain of what you would expect, right? Yeah. You always are trying to be wary of, do I have enough light sources? And in this game, you're actually removing them from situations. And in removing it, it benefits you. Um, And I liked that in that it allows you to think to technically facilitate soldier deaths without you actually specifically being the one that kills every single one of them, right? Yeah. It would be a little much if you were literally able just to kind of headshot your way through every single encounter. So seeing the enemies evolve and then the types of tactics you have to employ to kill those evolving enemies I think really helps uh, sustain the gameplay and combat elements of this game really well. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, this is one of those games that, again, as soon as I finished playing it, I put the controller down and I was like, why the hell did it take me so long to play this? (laughs) This is, I mean, again, like like you had highlighted, it's such a Small scale game, but it hides its small scale so well and just yeah. the production value at every turn. There's never an instance where I found that like there was a character uh, dialogue or voiceovers that were like, eh, I'm kind of seeing the limitations of the budget here. And the amount again of kind of the scale that they're able to replicate of a major fantasy work with that score is, I mean, I've got it on my Spotify now and I'm just yeah. like listening to it because it's so. The range in emotions that it's able to convey really does match this game flawlessly in terms of really taking you on this emotional journey that you can feel growth in as the score goes on. And of course, it's intentional, obviously, but it just it's it's a fantastic sort of pairing with just how structured this vision was for this story.
1: Yeah, I said so I think the streamlining of everything allows it to sort of stay consistent to what it is. You know, it's like, well, that's not going to be for everyone. I think mean, it's always admirable when so, something like this can take, you know, stay true to what it wants to be throughout and uh, in, in, in all facets,
0: basically. So glad that you recommended I check this out because this is definitely one of those games that I could very easily see people overlook just because you could say something along the lines of, oh, it's another just third person stealth game. But there's a lot of different layers to this in a way that I think will surprise people. and there's so many different influences in this game that you can clearly see and yet it takes those influences and it blends it into something wholly original. Yeah. Which is the hardest thing to do. I mean, you play how many games and you're like, oh, I see a bit of The Last of Us here. I see a bit of this and that. But then that game can often be regulated to, oh, it's a moment of uh, recreations or of clear inspiration. Yeah. Whereas with this game, I found that it it blended all of those things together in a way that, it makes something completely its own and uh my I'm better off for playing it as it were <laughs>
1: it. And and uh, you know, at the time of uh, this episode going out and has been for a while if you are interested in the game um it is on Xbox's Game Pass as well so it's definitely worth checking out there and that's probably the easiest and cheapest way you, you can go about it at the
0: fantastic that's awesome yeah highly highly recommend to everybody that's able to to check this out and uh usually we kind of wait and tease uh what we're going to talk about for next week's episode Mm -hmm. but i think it's it's fairly obvious what we would uh be talking about as a a rather big horror title has uh, been released and i think we've referenced the uh or chatted about rather the series that it's a part of uh resident evil village yeah we will be talking about that next week as of this recording you've been able to play through it once my copy arrived about five minutes before we <laughs> pressed record on this episode so i will be dedicating my weekend to playing that
1: yeah uh, just before we started i started my second one so <laughs>
0: so,
1: so yeah so hopefully by the time next mainly because next week i don't want it to be a week it was removed to having played loads of other things and do it. what happened there you know like that <laughs> I, that is just unfortunately very easy for me It's <laughs> just we get these things. Yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to talking about this one because it's, uh, there's a lot to talk about, I'll say that. Too.
0: Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that and uh, we will be discussing spoilers and all, so I can't wait for that chat. But yes. uh, as always, Neil, it was a pleasure talking horror with you. Back at you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next week.